December 2009, in Denver, Colorado, Kelly Lang gave birth to a beautiful baby boy. She named him Alex. The Langs brought baby Alex home and settled into life with a healthy newborn. He slept well, he woke well, he ate well, all of which was confirmed by regular visits to the pediatrician. After their three-month checkup, the Langs got a peculiar notice from their insurance company. They said that they could not provide health insurance for Alex. At that point, Alex was four months old, and he weighed 17 pounds. <laughs> for those of you unfamiliar with newborns, that is huge. <laughs> Alex was in the 99th percentile for weight for babies his age. Because of his weight, the insurer, Rocky Mountain Health Plans, deemed baby Alex, quote, uninsurably fat. <laughs> Just to be clear, <laughs> Alex was perfectly healthy. His diet consisted exclusively of breast milk directly from his mother, who had a healthy diet and was an average-sized woman. Officially, the insurance company denied care based on a pre-existing condition for obesity. <laughs> pre-existing condition in a four-month-old. <laughs> Not so long ago, this kind of denial of care was common. Insurance companies denied care for pre-existing conditions for things ranging from cancer and diabetes to depression and, I kid you not, acne. People who had acne as teenagers were forced to pay their own hospital bills for other conditions in their 40s and 50s. Fortunately, things have changed. The Affordable Care Act largely put an end to denial of care or increased rates for pre-existing conditions. And the American Health Care Act of 2017 did not take it away, at least not yet. People like baby Alex are safely insured now, but denial of care for pre-existing conditions still happens on occasion, which is mind-blowing. <laughs> Consider this irony. <laughs> A system whose sole purpose is health care often ends up hurting people by denying health care. Such was the case with the Sabbath in Jesus' time. It was a well-intended system for the care of people that often resulted in people being hurt. Let's take a step back and talk about Sabbath. The Hebrew verb Sabbath, or the more common pronunciation Shabbat, or for those Lebowski fans out there, Shabbos, in the Ashkenazi pronunciation. Shabbat means 
to stop, cease, or rest. Over time, the term was used like we use the term holiday today, which obviously, historically, was holy day. There were so many Sabbaths, so many holy days, that the most common of these holy days uh, stood out. Was, it was the weekly Shabbat. This is the big one. This is the one that made the Ten Commandments. According to the Genesis narrative, it was a reflection of the divine rest after creation. But today's reading reveals that Sabbath was also a means to preserve social justice. Deuteronomy 5, 12 through 15. Observe the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter or your male or female slave or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the resident alien in your towns so that your male and female slaves may rest as well as you. Remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and outstretched arm. Therefore, remember the Sabbath day keep it holy. This is God's insurance plan for the poor and overworked. But the insurance enforcers lost the original idea. They went for the letter of the law, not the spirit of the law. They became legalistic. And that's where we find ourselves in this gospel narrative. Jesus and his disciples are walking through the countryside. They are hungry, and as they walk, they pass their hands through the grain. This reminds me of that uh, sequence from Gladiator when he's, Maximus is returning home. You know, he's got his hands gliding through, through the grain. Such a peaceful and tranquil uh, image. But mind you, wheat fields had different connotations for folks at this time. We think of them as pastoral, symbols of nature, tranquility, leisure. But to those steeped in agrarian lifestyle... This was the office. Fields were a place of work. Jesus and his disciples stopped by the office on a Saturday. And they raid the office fridge. Mind you, we don't know whose office it was, but that doesn't seem to be the big problem. The problem is that they're in a place of work, doing work, and sort of stealing at the same time. So the security guards come, the Pharisees, and these guys are looking for trouble. We see that at the beginning. They're looking for trouble. They're going to make a mountain out of a molehill. They watch Jesus' disciples, hoping they will slip up. Come on, do something wrong. And they do, sort of. But Jesus in his non-anxious presence, is not phased. In fact, Jesus ups the ante. He goes right to the heart of the matter, to this idolatry. You guys have probably heard before that we, think, we imagine the Ten Commandments as two tablets, right? In the, in the second tablet, we've got everything that has to do with love of neighbor. Like, don't kill your neighbor, <laughs> for instance. But the first tablet had everything to do with love of God. And that is where we find, remember the Sabbath and keep it 
holy. Once a week, put everything down and remember God. And here, with that context, with that stone set rubric, here we have Jesus saying, the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Big no-no. Big problem. Jesus is saying that the Sabbath is not about your legalism, not about getting things right. It was made to protect the weak and direct all people back to God. You Pharisees want to protect the law, but Jesus is the law. Jesus is the embodiment of God's intention. As you might imagine, the Pharisees are not too keen <laughs> to this. After this first encounter, the security guards are on red alert. And Jesus knows this, and he's sick of their petty nitpicking. He wants to remind people what matters. What matters to Jesus is people's health, particularly their spiritual health, but also their physical well-being. So here is Jesus in this very public place, the man with a withered hand. And he turns, Jesus turns to what matters. I love this, this so-called healing because it's, it's really simple. Jesus doesn't like, you know, make a little mud concoction and spread it on there or anything like that. All he says to this man is stretch out your hand. Stretch out your hand. That is the healing. So the Pharisees went out and immediately conspired with the Herodians against him to destroy him, as Mark says. Okay, we've been out of Mark for a while. But we all know his favorite word, which is immediately, or in Greek, euthus. Yoo-hoo. <laughs> Look over here. Pay attention to this little bit thing I'm saying. The Pharisees conspire with the Herodians to destroy Jesus. The religious folks get together with the people who enable Roman occupation to kill this country peasant. So much for social justice of the Sabbath, so much for those laws that tell us not to kill our neighbor. Rather than this being a story about Jesus being right and the Pharisees being wrong, let's consider what this means for us. How do we use our sense of righteousness to destroy others? How are we caught up in being right rather than being kind? How do we deny care of the very people we are called to protect. Man, so often I get like just crazy worked up about politics. I get distracted from the good work God has given me to serve the least of these, the vulnerable and the loveless. That, that turn to those in need of love that is where I find my restoration. 
One more movie reference. In the, in the Last Jedi, the, the latest of the, the bigger Star Wars, though it was nice to get out and see Solo. Uh, but there's that moment where, where Rose like crashes into, uh, into, what's his name? Finn. Finn, thank you. Rose crashes into Finn to like save him from crashing, from like tearing, taking out the big uh, battling ram thing. And she, she says, you know, I, I, didn't, I didn't stop you, I saved you. That's how we are going to win. Not by fighting what we hate, by saving what we love. Saving what we love. In saving what we love, love saves us. Love liberates us from fear and hatred, from isolation and competition. Sabbath is about reorienting ourselves to that liberation. Sabbath reminds us that everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Or, as paraphrased in John's Gospel, you shall know God and God shall set you free. How do we reorient ourselves to God's liberating love? How do we remember what matters? How do we keep the Sabbath holy? By doing what is written in Deuteronomy. By remembering that we were slaves in the land of Egypt. By remembering the children who are without health care and food. By remembering the two million undocumented immigrants in California alone who work like slaves to support our economy. By remembering that 18 billion pounds of plastic our consumerism adds to the oceans every year. By stopping... To remember what it means to have enough. And making sure that others have enough. Sabbath is a powerful practice of healing through remembering our vulnerability. It is a practice of putting down the labor of consumption and opening our withered hands to accept the liberation of love. Amen. Amen.